Thanks to everybody who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Dan Lane, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Tim Edwards, Ilya Coelia, Roland Robertson, Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show from $1 per episode, go to 361podcast.com slash support. Look, how are we going to do the start? Because I'm just not happy with these. Uh, what do you say? Hello, gentlemen. I just don't feel it. It doesn't have the right energy. doesn't have the right energy. Okay. Can we choreograph it? We should say hi, like that. And then Mark can space them apart a little bit so that it sounds normal. Or we could just do it normally. Mark will do what he thinks best. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> to see Mark's email during the week, who's been polishing this turd for five years, I feel like I'm trying to work out, like, what do you get five years for? I mean, to go down five years and be out enjoying freedom by now. And welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Rich Blanford. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 18, Episode 5, and this week we talk about great quality mics for home working, how the COVID virus has accelerated digital adoption, and real-time banking. How are you? Hello. Hello. Hello, you McLeod. How are you? How is Muscat Aman? Yes, it's uh, incredibly warm, I have to say. It's 36 outside and it's, what, 10 p.m. at night. So it's, it's lovely, though. Absolutely lovely during the day. Now, you're still surrounded by boxes, and I would have thought a man of your incredible talents and organisational skills would have probably moved into his house by now, but you still look um, packed, if you pardon me saying so. I am applying said organisational skills to the business, the company, rather than the home. This is the office, and I haven't, to be really blunt, it's because IKEA haven't delivered anything yet. That's why. Right, we've got nowhere to put it. Hetty's view was bring it all out and just put it on the floor, just so we can get rid of the boxes. I don't like the idea of that. So there you go. Since you asked, hello. I always imagine that you were up a gear from IKEA furniture. I spent the weekend trying to hang some IKEA picture frames, and what I've learned was that the £10 I saved on the IKEA picture frame was quickly expended in blood and swearing at these picture frames as I tried to wedge them onto the wall. So there we go. That's my IKEA anecdote. Well, look, I think IKEA is very, very good, especially when you have young children, as we still have a two-year-old. Because <laughs> when everything in your life is disposable. Well, it's, it, but you can, you can wash the IKEA covers. You can't do this with very expensive sofas and things and jam and chocolate. It doesn't look good being wiped you know, from the face of a two-year-old onto a sofa. Oh, I was going to say, because when, you, when you're eating jam and chocolate, just go and sit up at the big table. You're allowed, you're grown up. <laughs> Rafe Blanford, how are you? How you're, you're coming to us direct from London's bustling metropolis. That's absolutely right, I am. I'm doing very well, thank you, Ben. Now, Rafe Blanford, if you'd pardon me saying so, because we're trying to talk about appearances here, you're looking a little bit locked down haircut this evening. Yeah, that's because I haven't turned the light on or done my usual hairstyle, which I obviously always do for the 361 podcast, it being such a visual medium. I have to look at you for nearly 90 minutes continuously, so you can try, try and make an effort. Yeah. But uh, have you left the house since we spoke last week? <laughs> I have. I went out for a, a lovely walk. Um, of course, I did not exceed an hour of exercise. Well, maybe not by very much anyway. But living in London, trying to find green space to go and walk in where you can stay two metres away from people, a little bit tricky. But yeah, I've been trying to get out and do a bit more walking because I'm definitely feeling the effects of sitting in one room for sort of 14 hours a day. So, you know, obviously I was doing Couch to 5K and I hit my 5K, which is great. So I downloaded the 10K app and I've been doing that. 
but it was some short intervals this morning. It's one of those days where I sort of heaved myself out of bed and I was like, oh, I ought to do this. You know, it was, was not an enthusiastic day. So I did it, came back very pleased with myself. And um, my little boy announced, Daddy, I want to go cycling in the forest before I do my schoolwork today. I was like, okay, fine, we can do that. So we then <laughs> turned around and went back out again so he could ride his bike. And um, we bought him a new bike for during lockdown so that he can, He's learning to ride one with gears and no stabilizers and all this kind of ah, stuff. Very impressive. And um, I've become one of those people. I've bought myself a Brompton, one of those folding bikes. Oh, you have not. I am become one of those people. Yeah. What did you? Why did you do that? Essentially, because when we go back to work, yes, I'm going on as little public transport as I possibly can in London. Yes. Because as a freelancer, if I get sick, regardless whether it's you know serious illness or or not, I can't do my job and I don't get paid. So okay, okay, okay. I decided that, you know, sort of packed tube trains will not be the place to go. And also, you know, it's quite nice. I've been using those um, higher bikes for ages. Yes. Again, the, the Ewan McLeod service level model. Ah. What really annoys me is walking up and, oh, there are no bikes, mm. you know. So I do want to cycle, but I don't want the vagaries of- Where are the bikes? Yes. Wander around. Where might they be exactly? So I got one of those, but I wasn't planning to use it for recreational cycling locally, but you know, that's the only one I've got at the moment. So are you even allowed to do that? Did Brompton allow you to use these for recreational use? Well, so we we cycled a good 7Ks around the forest today over gravel. And there are bits of me falling off that I didn't even know existed. I'm just the broken wreck of a man. So pace yourself, Rafe. (laughs) It can get get too much. (laughs) So you're all right though, Rafe, otherwise? I am. Yes. Have you made any more sausage rolls, Blanford? I was making scones at the weekend because another of my favourite bits of home baking. So uh, okay. who knows what will happen this weekend. Could get really rebellious and go for the full chocolate cake. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a euphemism, but I'm not sure what for. It's not meant to be, no. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear me. That's terrible. I love the fact that when we used to meet regularly face-to-face, you never felt encumbered by the need to make a cake or bring sausage rolls around. Mm. But the moment that we can't get to you yeah. at all, exactly. you're turning this stuff out like bilio. And just before we begin, can we get an update on the tapestry, please? It's going well. I'm onto my fourth colour. Yeah. I don't know how to gauge that as success. How many colours are there in total, Rafe? Yeah. About 10. Oh, it's very low resolution. And so is that 40% or not really? No, because I've started with some of the darker colours, not the big background areas. Okay. He doesn't seem that comfortable here. It's not like a 4K tapestry then? No. I mean, I'm sure it's fascinating for everyone listening to this, but um, I will post some pictures on Instagram or something at some point for those who really need to see it. I think you should. Okay, we should move on. Bit of correspondence. So I finally pulled my finger out and started to respond to the people who've been emailing into us. So sorry if you've, if you've emailed the show. I am catching up, honest. So uh, first up, Stefan Constantinescu, friend of the show, was following up our chat about office equipment and stuff and was saying, yeah, 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 you know, desks, computers, whatever. The things that he was interested in was office chairs because he hates his. Mm. And it struck me that I just have, some no-name IKEA office chair I've had forever, and I haven't really thought about it, and I actually probably ought to. So I just wondered, did you guys have any recommendations to Stefan on good things to sit on? Uh, well, I can tell you, I'm sitting on an IKEA Marcus. Nice. I think it's from the UK. It might be from Denmark. No, it's from the UK because it's still got the sticker on when it was delivered to Denmark. I think you're right. It is something to consider, especially now that we're doing this stuff you know, longer. I didn't really bother about chairs just expect also because the children are climbing over them you know, bashing them and whatever i would like one of those nice 
really sexy ones. What are they called? Herman Miller, is it? Erolon. Erolon, is it? Or, yeah. Is laughing because I'm getting the brand name wrong. Is it Miller Hyman? Herman? It's Herman Miller, and I'm not laughing because you're getting the brand name wrong. I'm laughing because I suspect I'm about to be judged. Oh. And this is suitably embarrassing. And I, I did actually have a conversation with one of my uh, colleagues this week who had been listening to the first episode and was amused at the fact that we talked about new products and spending money and were mildly embarrassed by the fact we'd been spending lots of money on vacuum cleaners and various other mm. items. So I'm about to live up to that stereotype because... Wait, so who's embarrassed by spending money on high-quality robot vacuum cleaners but recommended it, by Ben Smith? To be fair, only Rafe is embarrassed. He just pointed out that we uh, you know, were always a little bit reticent to talk about the uh, financial figures simply because we recognised it was you know, a privilege to be able to do so. And he okay, fine. appreciated that. Indeed. Um, I am sitting on a Herman Miller Mirror 2 chair. Right. Let's Google that quick. Come on, guys. What is that? How many thousands is that? And is that a Blandford investment or what? You Google him. I'll hold him down. Uh, Herman, what? Uh, Herman, go on. Herman Miller Mirror 2. Miller 2. And so, Rafe, why did you choose that? I went through the kind of usual, I'll go and have a look at Wirecutter, then I'll have a look at a few chair review sites and much like vacuum cleaners, there's YouTube influencers who review chairs. Oh my gosh, there is, there is, there is. And everything else. Oh, it's a serious chair here. Go on. And I didn't really intend to spend as much as I did, but I knew I was going to be sitting in it for many months. And I decided that... Lean, light, and as responsive as your own shadow. Yeah, thank you That's for that marketing spiel. Mm. Making every molecule count. I saw Rafe this evening and I thought, all of Rafe's molecules are counting. What's happened here? It must be the comfort of his posterior. Designer's passion. A balance of comfort and personalised ergonomics in one sophisticated design. So the thing I liked about it was it looked nice, which I know is sort of <laughs> very prosaic, but also you can adjust the, sort of the heights, the arms, everything that you expect to do on an office chair. It's not at the level of the Herman Miller Aeron, which is the kind of dot-com chair that everyone talks about. And it actually has a mesh back, so it's sort of not canvas, and it's very comfortable. And I have sat on one before, so I knew it was a good thing. And it's been really nice because it has meant that I haven't had any back strain. And before I got it, I was sort of sitting on a fairly bog stand office chair, and I had noticed of getting a slightly sore back. So I think it's been um, well worthwhile. That's how much it is, because we're not talking about how much it is. It starts with that number. I paid about £500 for an office chair. Yes, I admit it. I am. Wow. Yeah. I think you mean £736 for the Mirror 2. I was able to get a good deal on it. Okay, you got a good deal. Good. I'm going to jump in, Rafe. I think you've made the right choice because where we are in the UK, don't tend to have homes with air conditioning in offices, yes, but homes, no. And what seemed like a good idea, which was this kind of faux leather office chair I've got here, and it has lasted really well, and, and yep, Ewan's got as well. In the warmer weather, it gets a little bit sweaty, and I at work, we had mesh back chairs all the time in the last place I worked, and it was just such a nicer experience to get some sort of breathability, and it was less sweaty and horrible. So yeah, I use the wire cutter as well, so got new desk on the way. I think I'll be looking at that brand. I am also, I think, um, actually the same manufacturer, but um, Marco Arment, who's the guy who was behind Tumblr and is behind Overcast, the podcast app, and um, he's a fairly prolific podcaster in his own right. He is the most fussy man in the world, as far as I can tell, but he recommends podcast microphones, and I take his podcast microphone review as gospel, and also his chair reviews as well. And he's got a D3 
different. I think it's the Embody one from that same vendor. Herman Miller. That he recommends, but either way, I'm going to be looking at those ranges. The Aeron is a thousand pounds. But you know, I wonder if it's like, is it like a, it's like having a good bed? Is it one of those things where you should invest? I think it probably is. I have this theory that anything that I'm, yeah, anything I'm going to touch, you know, sort of more than my clothes almost, you know, is probably, mm. you know, worth investing. And that's why I like, you know, we talked last week about the MX Keys keyboard and that kind of stuff. I think those, mm. the touch factor, the ergonomics and stuff really matters. I think, you know, previously people have been inclined to say, oh, that's just a sort of a luxury. That's a bit of an indulgence to have an expensive keyboard or a good chair or whatever. But now we're all mm. stuck at home and, you know, kind of it, it's the way that you work all day, every day. And actually, let's face it, you know, like most of us have our screen time, which is both leisure and work. So you might do an eight hour day in front of the computer for work and then do another couple of hours of recreation, you know, whatever, watching TV, messing about online, talking to friends, even socializing, you know, come and sit up here and talk to people socially. Yeah, I think it's really important and, you know, budgets will constrain, but I think it's worth mm. spending money on in, in preference to gadgets and widgets. Okay, so Stefan, we'll talk about more about chairs in the future. Rafe's got his recommendation. You and I need to catch up. I need to buy two of them because our desk mm. is going to be a two-person desk, so it's going to be an expensive purchase. But uh, yeah, I'll check that one out. You've got, we'll stick the link in the show notes. Mesh back, eh? Fancy, showing off. Very sexy. Yeah. Okay, first proper topic. Goodness knows how long this episode is going to be, but um, first proper topic. We said we were going to talk about microphones and USB headsets mm. for work as part of our ongoing yes. theme of, oh, so you work at home now and you need gear to remote work. Ian McLeod, you requested this, so pourquoi? Yes, just because a lot of my colleagues, we've all just done Microsoft Teams or Zoom or WebEx, you know, whatever you've been having to use for, for business purposes very quickly. And I think it's important to have the right, well, I feel it's important to have the right headgear. Now, at my previous firm Nordea, they had a standard headphone type, which was Jabra. You know, when you're in, in a big corporate, you, you typically have the option, you go to the help desk website and say that one, or you're assigned when you start, they give you the headset. And the one I got was a Jabra Evolve 80 and big cans, got a big over ear, not on ear, but the over ear one. And it had a, it a wired one, the USB and the kind of phono plug thing. And it had a mute button that would sit on the desktop mm. connected to the wire. And it was phenomenal because I would just sit and, you know, when you're doing lots of uh, audio calls or video calls, being able to put the mute on and off really easily is probably, I think, one of the most effective features for any of these headsets. First of all, headsets are required. Let's just get that very clear, right? You can't, can't, cannot do video calls by using the built-in stuff. Are we agreed on that? Yeah, absolutely. You're a psychopath. If you're joining right. video calls, even in a completely quiet room where it's just you, Rafe Blanford, I'm looking at you now. If you're joining them from a, an open mic, exactly, the echo of the room, the tone of the room will just make it so hard to pick up your voice. It's just terrible. We talked about this, about good quality mics for podcasting and for yes. video calls. And actually, like we're all, I mean, obviously not Rafe Blanford, but you and I are sitting here talking into high-end XLR mics with super high quality. That's why you can't hear him very well. I mean, Mark has to do so much work. But actually, my, my recommendation would be don't get one mic for both jobs. No. Because they're different jobs. Yes. I'd say if you're a podcaster or if you're making content, great, get a mic that does that job. Mm. But we've all got boom arms in front of our faces. It obstructs the video view. Yeah. And we have to keep fairly still because if I go over here, like these microphones are deliberately intended to only pick up noise directly in front of them, which is great, 
Yeah. Like it's great yeah. for producing a reasonable quality sound, but it's terrible for comfort. Like we do this for an hour, mm. but I can't work. I can't comfortably type. I can't look down at my keyboard easily while I'm, no. while I'm using this mic. So I, I think it's spot on. One mic for each job. Feels like a bit of a luxury, but do that. And absolutely agree with you. If you're getting a microphone that you're going to use for team calls, where you're going to work and chat yeah. sort of for an extended yeah. period of time. A work headset microphone. Yeah, It's got to be a headset with a boom arm. AirPods don't cut it. And particularly if you're, if you're on a Mac, no. I've learned the very hard way recently that the Mac Bluetooth stack doesn't cope well. It's terrible, isn't it? It'll play you audio perfectly happily. Yes. But if you then use a mouse or a keyboard or some other audio device, you get so many glitches and, and lockups. And, you know, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. So I'm afraid my AirPods have gone back in the bag. They're only for listening and for phone calls and, and low fidelity stuff like that. So I can tell you what I used to do a lot is I used to use the Teams or your video app, whatever your video conferencing thing was. But I would use Teams on my iPhone with my AirPods. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine, right? For conference calls, that would work perfectly fine. Or for telephone calls, because a lot of companies are still using dial-in. You know, you'll, you'll dial into a conference bridge rather than using your data connection. So that's where AirPods are perfectly fine, but not on a computer. And if you're sat in front of a computer, you do need, a, I think you need a headset. With the boom, that's important. Now, my strong, strong, strong recommendation are the Jabra Evolve 80. I do like wired still. Now, what I've been using, because I haven't, I actually find myself missing these ones that, of course, I gave back to Nordea, the Nordea's property. I find myself missing these ones. So I, I actually went and found some and ordered them. So they haven't arrived yet. So I'm currently using, I'm pointing at my, um, oh, what are the, the Bose? Bose 700, the newish, newish ones. And that's fine, but I worry that I don't have the boom yeah. in front. So I, I am speaking loudly when I'm talking to my colleagues just to compensate so they can hear me. <laughs> I hope I'm doing the right thing. But I, I'm looking forward to getting the one with the boom mic. Now, I noticed that Blanford here has got the good old-fashioned, I used to have some of these Blanford Logitech specials with his um, NASA boom mic in front of him. How are those? Yeah, so you're using yours just as monitor headphones during this call. So what have you got? They don't look that comfortable. Yeah. Are they comfortable there? Is that what you use for Teams? I don't. I have a kind of lower end uh, Jabra. I think it's something like the 75s rather than the high end ones. Let's see them. Come on. Just as an interlude while Rafe gets them out. Let's the... see. Let's see. Let's see. They're not low end, Rafe Blanford. No, they, yeah. They're, those are, um, they're not low end. The 70, 75, that's just below the 80, obviously, right? Um, I'm not... Are you at the 70? They're, those are 40, aren't they? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, it's all 40, I think those are. I had a quick look at the Wirecutter before we recorded this evening and all their recommendations include the Jabra range. And I think there's a 65 and a 75 yes. they recommend and it all gets yeah. quite expensive quite quickly, but they're all good audio quality, good microphones. And they're all, the thing is they're all tailored for yes. video conferencing. So back to this, get a proper one for the job. Yeah. The most important thing with the Jabra, the Jabra evolves, right? They've got this little round dial thing in the middle of the cable. And that's got the volume up, volume down, and then mute right in the center. And that is priceless. Because if you're doing lots of these, there you go, Blanford's showing it off, right? Yeah. It's really important. I bet you do this as well, Blanford. I just keep it in front of me and press you know, when I want to speak and then press off. It's really, really, really important because it stops you having to reach forward to the mouse, especially when you're having conversations to mute, unmute, unmute, unmute. Really, really good. So if you are thinking about buying a headset, I do strongly recommend the Jabra. The benefit of these Jabra ones is the audio, the microphone is fantastic, but you can put the boom away 
and the actual headphones for you know, listening to music. I would use the music function you know, a lot as well. Really good. Rafe, you've gone for wired as well. Ewan was advocating a wired connection. You've got wired? I have. I mean, I use those for kind of the video conference calls. I will occasionally use AirPods, but people complain about the quality of the sound on those sometimes. And I think it's the Bluetooth tech sometimes being unstable. You know, you can use, you know, Bose and there's various ones. But in the end, just being able to plug the headset in and out was more convenient for just making it work. And for podcasting, I've got a Samsung microphone. I think it's a 30U and just wearing any old headphones with it just because I get better incoming audio by just having a headset on. And I think that's the thing that people forget. And when you're doing a lot of video calling, actually the importance of not having to strain to listen is actually the thing that then enables you to just concentrate on the flow of the call. And it's the same with video. I've now, you know, become one of those people who likes to turn on video because it gives you that extra bit of bandwidth to when someone wants to talk or is about to talk or the reaction they're having to what you're saying. And if you're on a fast enough connection, you know, most of the software now produces pretty good quality. And particularly in meetings of four or five mm. people, I find it really very helpful indeed. And so high quality audio and video does make a difference when you're doing these calls. And I think you notice it more probably on the family video calls where you've got people who are maybe using the built-in microphones yes. or slightly older webcams. And you suddenly go, oh, I kind of appreciate the fact that being kitted out with a standard headset and everyone's on a reasonable computer and the bandwidth is generally quite good i think that's sometimes because you know people who are working from home regularly have made sure they've got decent internet and everything else it's a weird crossover i've been watching a bunch of videos recently being put out by twitch game streamers yeah and it's really interesting that they've had to solve a lot of this high quality camera and microphone kind of stuff so that they can stream their games Mm. and i'm not interested at all in gaming and i'm not interested in twitch but they've kind of done all the product selection. So actually, when we put the desk in this office and we put it in properly, I own a Logitech 920 webcam, which is about £50 in the UK. It's a classic USB webcam, and it's just... £100 at the minute. They're overpriced at the moment. And it's the best one. It's the one that everyone recommends, but there's been no innovation in webcams for a while. And so that product is about, Mm. I think it's four or five years old at least. And it just is what it is, and there hasn't been any new ones. And certainly none that have broken through and to be universally recognised. So I'm going to do what the streamers do, which is I'm going to get a simple high-quality camera with a HDMI output, and I'm going to plug it into my Mac using an Elgato cam link. So the cam link Mm. is a little dongle, and in one end you plug an HDMI cable, and in the other end you plug it into your laptop, and it pops up like a webcam. Oh, It makes your computer think it's a webcam, but you can feed any HDMI signal you like. And what that means is you can take your the expensive camera that I've got downstairs with interchangeable lenses and focusing and that kind of stuff. What, your Canon? Yeah, I'm probably going to use a Sony, but one of you know your, your DLSR yeah. kind of thing. You just pop that on the desk, and this is what the streamers do because they want this nice high-quality image, and pop it on the desk and feed it into the computer and try and go up a level, which is sort of above just a straight webcam. Because I was looking recently... Even the high-end Macs still have this grotty 720p exactly. camera yeah. sensor in it, and it just looks grainy and miserable. And if I was just doing a call, it doesn't matter. But if I'm going to spend all day, every day with clients, 
I think it's going to be worth mm. making a bit of an effort just to get they're like, oh, his his picture is crisp and he's in focus and the background is blurred, but it doesn't look like one of those fake blurs and this kind of stuff. So I'm going to try that out. Mm. And actually, if you're a consultant and you have to do things like retros or scrum stand-ups or town hall meetings or something over Skype or over Zoom or something like that, the Camlink little gizmo is a great way of getting video in and sharing it you know, so that other people can watch what's coming out of a camera. You know, it could be like a GoPro or something like that, you know, which is, which is great when you've got a kind of quick jerry-rig up a setup where you want to. You can also pipe in another laptop as well, couldn't you? Yeah. I suppose if you wanted to actually show off uh, you know, PowerPoint or something. I've run product demos where I had my iPad yeah. with a HDMI out, which would have normally plugged into a telly, which went into the Elgato cam link. And all of a sudden the picture, my webcam was my iPad screen. And it saved loads of messing about with software trying to get the screen share working and things. Yeah, that's valuable. Very useful. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd definitely say Logitech 920, if you want a reasonable consumer webcam, we've raved about the Jabra mm. range, you know, <laughs> according to your budget. And yeah, the Elgato, again, look, looks like Elgato is a range of stuff that's almost entirely for streamers, but they're great little gadgets to use for kind of just jumping up to the next level of audio and don't use your podcasting kit for calls. A, you look a bit weird with your boom mic and all this kind of stuff. And secondly, it's not what it's designed for. You'll get beautiful quality audio, although it won't be processed. Mark is running, you know, EQs over this, you know, and, and that kind of stuff afterwards. But it won't be, it won't sound as good. And uh, you will get very tired and very achy. I tried it once. And after, you know, half a day of trying to keep my head still and talking to the mic, just gave up. What are you using for calls? Uh, right now, I'm not because I'm between contracts. But when I was doing those calls back at the yeah. beginning of the year, I was very much trying to do AirPods, AirPods, AirPods. And I had had enough people like Rafe had said to me, oh, it doesn't sound great. Can't hear you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So again, when the office is reconnected, I'm going to be getting the highest end Jabra setup I can get. I'd really like to get some wireless ones, but I would not be buying Bluetooth ones. I'll be looking for something with a base station that does like... The Jabra have that. Yeah, yeah exactly. A, a wireless yeah. to a base station that's plugged into the computer. Just think about the mute. That's the reason why I haven't gone wireless, because I don't want something where you're tapping on it so people can see you're doing it. The mute thing is, I think, an important one. One last thing, we won't talk about it because we've run out of time on this topic, but we'll come back to it. Noise cancelling. There are a whole bunch of different setups you can get now that do really high-end noise cancelling. The one I quite like is crisp.ai, which is a little sort of fake microphone utility that you run on your Mac. And you select that as the sound source rather than your microphone itself. Okay. The Mac kind of processes it and it wow. cleans up so much background noise. Now, right now, we're sat in a really quiet room and all that kind of stuff. But if you've got traffic noise and all that kind of stuff, give that a try. It comes with a price and it may not be that the money's worth it for you. But if you want to sound pro and you want to make sure that there's absolutely no background noise, that is a cracking option. There are some wow. there are some products that are tied to graphics cards. A couple, I think, um, I think, um, NVIDIA, I'm going to get this wrong and people are going to write in now. I think NVIDIA make a product that does the same thing that uses the extra sort of cycles in your graphics card. But like who has graphics cards and things anymore? We've all got laptops. So check out Crisp in the first instance. And uh, with a K, by the way, I, I just searched it. K-R-I-S-P. Yeah, Crisp. K-R-I-S-P. I think it's crisp.ai if memory serves. But check out the show notes. And I'll link it up there. Okay, right. That is wow. our recommendations okay. for mics and headsets. We should move on. Rafe Blanford here, it says in big letters, two years of digital adoption in two months. And 
I'm glad I wrote that down, but I can't for the life of me remember what the context was or why we wrote it down. So please say clever words about that now. Yeah, say things, Blanford. Say words, please. <laughs> so this is actually something Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said in the quarterly results. And it was partly in reference to the adoption of Microsoft Teams, saying that they had 200 million people using it in a single day in April and now 75 million daily active users, like big, big increase. But actually, I thought the underlying comment was really interesting that the effects of COVID-19 have effectively accelerated digital adoption. And it's not necessarily that there's been a big behavior change, but it's accelerated trends that were already happening. And I think we can see this in loads of spaces. And, you know, don't really want to talk about home working too much more, but there's kind of an obvious effect there with many more people working from home, but that also entering into kind of family life whether that's FaceTime, the use of Zoom, and all the other tools. And I think one of the patterns has been people communicating more and that kind of thing. But I think there's some other interesting things, like Disney Plus, for example, had a target of a certain number of subscribers. And I think it was around 65 million and have got sort of two-thirds of the way there in the first three months of the year. And things are just happening quickly. Netflix is you know, seeing an uplift. There's more people watching on demand. And for those of us who kind of like live in digital and spend a lot of our time explaining to families why this is a good thing, actually it's been a lot easier to get them to try things. Benedict Evans has kind of written about this trend as almost forced experiments. The fact that because we're in a situation where you're locked down at home, you're trying out new things that you wouldn't otherwise do. And that maybe has a permanent behavior shift, but it's probably something you might have got around to eventually. And digital adoption curves of products and services are always interesting for me. You know, how, you know, smartphones took 10 years. Smart speakers actually had one of the fastest adoptions since the smartphone. And you can see that in social networks. You know, TikTok has had a really interesting adoption curve. But there have been some things that I think the interest for me here is that it's accelerated things that are connecting the digital and the physical worlds. And so, for example, many more people have been ordering their groceries online. Mm. But the yeah. one that really caught my attention was some of the movie studios starting to release directly to the yes. kind of over the top, the kind of on demand services. And there's a bit of a fight with Universal and Regal about Universal doing it for, I think, their Trolls movie. They suddenly found that they were able to get 100 million in revenue in the first 10 days. And actually, it was comparable to what they would have got from a cinema release. And I think the thing is here, there's been in lockstep that movie kind of cinema industry. They've always said, We'll give the cinemas three months exclusive and only then will it become available to buy either on physical media or through the streaming services. And yet that kind of pattern has been broken. I'm not necessarily suggesting that happens, but all of these things are changing behavior. And I think we've said before, we'd quite happily watch some cinema releases on our TVs yep. at home. Sometimes you do want the big IMAX experience or whatever, but there's so much talk and it, you know, this I think is independent of the time of what's happening. And we've said before, yeah. we record in advance, like there are behavior changes going on. That's clear. And people are talking about working from home more, but I think there's a kind of less commented upon trend that it's just accelerating what was already going to happen. So for digital services, it's like we're living in 2022. Mm. I'm really impatient for what comes next, which it sounds like a glib statement, but like all of the things that we're adopting now, like Zoom, I mean, I've got a real bee in my bonnet about Zoom. It's fine. Like it's okay. It's clever and it was tailored for the business market. But because it was there, loads of people have adopted it really quickly and it's become everywhere. 
what I'm really keen for now is all those companies who had video chat products who are going, actually, hang on a minute, like there's a huge home market here. We can make something yeah. tailored. And they're going to take a little while to come to market because they weren't just there ready to go on day one when this mm. landed, but it'll inspire them because you know it's great that we're all talking on Zoom and it's great that we're consuming way more digital media, but so many of these things seem like they're fish out of water. You know, Zoom used in a home context. Every week we do a quiz with friends and it's great. Saturday evening, we have a few drinks, we do a quiz and it just alleviates the tedium and it's nice to see these people and it means you you just don't sit there going did you have a nice day no we stayed in like you know (laughs) we do something constructive but the faff with getting everyone's cameras working and making sure oh you know can you can everyone be seen because they're new to this they don't use it like a tool every day and um similarly i don't know you guys like what have you been forced to change i had to send some birthday presents Mm -hmm. to someone and i needed to return some products and normally i just take it to the post office and drop it off but that's not an option at the moment. So I've been using courier pickup services. And in our house, that's the first time I've ever used a courier to come and collect something and take Mm. it away. I know it's more common elsewhere. And I was sort of sat there with this giant bundle of those lights that I bought that didn't work, I think I mentioned the other week, on the bathroom scales, trying to work out how much it weighed with a tape measure. What's the longest? Oh, that's ridiculous. (laughs) It's really annoying. Thinking like, well, this is great because the guy's going to come to my house, take it away, and it's only going to cost a pound or so more than if I posted it in the post office or maybe even the Mm. same price. Like, so that's really handy, but (laughs) this is not an experience that was designed for me. Like, it assumes that I'm working in a mailing room where I've got like a standard box and everything. Skills. I want an AR app where I just, that box there, like, you know, take that one away. No, you need just a better user experience there. I always go for the services where it doesn't matter the size or the weight. Or not, not, not the size of the weight, but it's just, it's re- I don't want to be messing around with rulers and tape measures. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, you're right. Those kind of services really need to upskill really quickly. So, Rafe, I'm curious then. So, I, I've got parcels, which was sort of the one for us. Have you guys had to adopt any digital services? Because, I mean, we paint ourselves as early or frequent adopters. Have you taken on anything new? The Royal Mail website allows you to basically print out your own postage, which for sending kind of small packages is just really convenient. It's sort of similar to your courier service. I've been using things like Bloom and Wild, which we've talked about on the show, to kind of send gifts and, you know, the same for some of the chocolate delivery services and things like that. I mean, I was already a heavy user of online delivery, but now pretty much you're doing everything that way with the exception of, in my case, grocery shopping. And that's partly because it's pretty easy for me to pop out to the shops. There's a couple of Sainsbury's locals and bigger supermarkets nearby. And also like getting delivery slots is actually quite tricky at the moment. And I don't feel I need to take one that someone in a more vulnerable household could use. But there's also some anti-patterns. I've actually probably watched less Netflix recently just because I've been spending all day looking at a screen mm. and I don't really want to do that in the evening. So I've been trying to find other things to do and hence the aforementioned uh, tapestry. Impressive. Reading physical books rather than using a Kindle and just a few things like that. I mean, yes, there's more digital services you know, from a work point of view using a tool called Miro, which allows you to kind of run virtual workshops and be a kind of big whiteboard space. And there's lots of those little tools that are kind of emerging out of that. There's Mm. Axis, which is a way of doing quick voting on things and a bunch of others that are being experimented with. And it's interesting, all the time people are discovering and playing new things. And it's kind of like, what's the favorite one? There are some that kind of get embedded, but I will say the one that I've just found useful because sharing books with family and friends, 
just being able to print out a label and then wrap it in brown paper and put it in the uh, post box. Whereas previously, I might have gone into the post office to do that mm. or something like that. And actually, it's probably quicker. And I would probably now convert over to just doing that naturally and not go back to the post office, which I might have done before. Mm. How about you, Ewan? I mean, everything's yes. different in Amman because you guys have only just arrived and don't have a normal no. there. But I'm curious about this two years of digital in two yes. months. What about like the, the family at home and stuff? What's the evidence that this is real? Yeah, it's just the acceleration. My mother was a massive Amazon MS John Lewis user anyway. She's just even more so. You know? So I think what it's done for a lot of my family members is they, they were already doing something. You know, I don't know, if, if I said 10% of their shopping, general shopping, everything was digital, you know, or remote or online. I would speculate that's up to, you know, 90 it's, it's swapped 90% the other way now. Uh, they might, as, as Blanford says, yeah, pop out and get some groceries or the, or the like, but everything else, everything else is being delivered. It's interesting because um, I think I've become, uh, I assume other people as well, I think I've become more willing to take a risk on products because there's some stuff that I would have insisted to go to the shop to yes. look at because I wanted to see it or touch it mm. or feel it. And I can't do that now. And so I have to choose, like, will I not buy a desk because I can't go to look at it? Or will I not buy a bike because... I can't hold it up. Or will I just sort of read some reviews and trust it and assume that actually if I don't like it, I'll send it back. And I know elsewhere the culture of sort of buying and returning is more prevalent. Showrooming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually I've never really done it. And we've bought furniture, we've bought clothes, I've bought two bikes now. Yeah. One for the boy, one for me. Yes. Without laying a finger on them, without doing mm. a test ride or anything. Yeah. And, you know, that's arguably you know, thousands of pounds worth of spend that I would have been, had you said to me three months ago, you know, buy your son a new bike, but he's not allowed to ride it or you're not allowed to touch it or you're not allowed to pick it up before you spend a couple hundred quid on it. And I said, you'd be mad. Mm -hmm. But actually it's kind of the digital part's important because the retailers have improved the quality of their photos and stuff. But actually for me, I'm actually now seeking out more reviews, more sort of firsthand reviews. And actually I'm letting other people do that test for me now in a way that, like we talk about the wire cutter, mm. which is our favorite go-to. That's grand for like products that everybody wants and needs a review. But, you know, how many niche sites are there at reviewing, you know, children's bike for five-year-olds? It's, you yes. get quite precise quite soon. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing here, because you said it, if I'd asked you three months ago, you'd have gone, no way. But it's people being forced into this different behavior. Mm. I think what the interesting thing is, do you then stick to that afterwards? And I think there's an argument around here, much as you see with automation, you ask people, you know, do you want that? And they go, actually, no, I'm fine with that. And it's a bit like electric doors. You know, you ask people whether you need the door open for you. Most people just go, no, it's, it's fine. But then they become accustomed to, you know, particularly in retail locations, but offices, the doors that just open automatically for you based on a sensor. People who've got smart home will recognize this as once they've switched to smart lighting, they kind of find it really convenient and it's a bit inconvenient to go back. Once you do that, you're there. I talked to a television that couldn't be talked to the other day by mistake. (laughs) There's an example of that. It sort of spills over. So I think lots of the behavior that we're learning now, and that's why, you know, there's a lot of discussion from marketing to logistics to retail about how long some of these impacts will have. Now, I'm also not one who thinks it's revolutionary. I'm in the middle ground that it's accelerating existing trends rather than establishing really new things. Now, there will be a period of disruption where everything's different, but some things will snap back quite quickly. Other things will take a little bit longer. 
But I wouldn't be surprised if as we come out of this, it looks much like the world might have done in 2023 in terms of that adoption of digital services in particular, and particularly those that impact on the physical world or replacing an activity in the physical world. And that may be one of the sort of more long-term effects, um, you know, because travel is expected to bounce back and things like that. But, you know, in some cases, you just accept that that's the thing I'm happy ordering over the internet because I've worked out it's quite easy to return something or it's just you go, that's fine, I'll deal with it. Just change my behavior. Yeah. Look at what Ben's done. Ben, you weren't jogging before. Now you've had how many weeks of jogging? Weeks and weeks and weeks. It's now a learned behavior. It's now part of your life. It's as, you know, it's as all of these different lifestyle, you know, change your life for the better. It's like, say, you know, if, if you can keep it going for 30 days becomes habit and you know the planet is being educated in this way yeah well let's let's not count our chickens there <laughs> but i think yes to take that as, a, as an example on the days i don't do it i miss it now and i've done it for long enough and we will have been locked down long enough that i think rafe's right some things will snap back but i think my tolerance of going to a shop which says oh i'm sorry we don't have that product in stock will be very low anymore because i'm never going to the shop now to buy the thing i'm just going to yes. look so you know like we're talking about these fancy office chairs. Let's say lockdown's lifted and I do get to go and look at one before I buy it. And I, I think I would prefer if I'm going to spend the, the kind of money that we talked about at the opening of the show, you know, sort of hundreds of pounds on a piece of furniture, I probably would like to sit in it. But actually, if I went to that shop and they went, oh yeah, well, we don't have any stock, so you couldn't take one away. I don't care. I just want one there. You know, you ship it to me. I'll order it online yeah. afterwards. And um, my tolerance for that will be vastly mm. different. There's a whole topic we'll talk about another time. but also. I've relaxed some of my cynicism about social networks because actually I've signed up to Nextdoor, which is a sort of a local neighborhood mm. social network, which has been a really useful way just to sort of find out who needs help, who's got problems, what's going on, and to sort of have those conversations that you might have otherwise had sort of more casually sort of face-to-face at the train station with your neighbors and stuff. But actually I've found that the ones I'm involved in look like they're self-policing better. Because it's now not just a place to go and moan mm. about dog poo on the pavement or littering or noisy neighbours, which is like, the, it just that's why I didn't like it because it was just becoming a, you know, a place where people complained but didn't do anything. Now people have this idea that actually this is necessity because if we don't talk here, we can't talk at all. Therefore, actually the nature of the conversation feels like it's changed a bit. So yeah, it's not just the tech that people are adopting, but also kind of the, mm. the respect maybe they give it or you know, trying to make it work. So. Okay, we'll come back to that one. We'll, we'll move on. The last theme of the show, gentlemen, um, how do you manage your money? I mean, I know obviously Rafe has a private banker. He's got a fleet of them, hasn't he? Yeah. Where is Coots based? It's up on uh, it's up on Fleet Street, isn't it? Just off- It is. They send a car for him when they... Uh- Actually, just as a detour, I got in my car this evening to go shopping and I go shopping once a week in the car where I drive five miles to the supermarket, buy a week's worth of food and come back and then it sits in the truck. <laughs> I swear the new car smell is coming back. <laughs> That's like, good. It's That's good. used so little. Yeah, it's the benefit of COVID. Yeah. I got in and I was like, I don't think I remember how to drive anymore. How do you do this? <laughs> um, anyways, yeah. so joking aside then, how do you manage your finances? Rafe Blanford, I won't ask you for specific names, but do you bank with a legacy high street bank or do you bank with one of the new challenger banks? And do you have any way that you, in addition to just whatever that bank provides, do you have any ways that you manage your household budget? So I'm still with a legacy bank, although I do have a couple of sort of the new challenger banks and I use those for sort of managing money on a kind of more personal 
what's spending kind of the what I call incidental. So it's not so much the direct debits and things that are going out on a regular basis. And it's Monzo in my case, I don't mind saying that, just has good categorization automatically. And that's enough for me to keep track of what I'm spending and get some inside visibility. And that's really all I do at the moment. Although I've been kind of on the lookout for improving that process because uh, I feel like I ought to, you know, it's one of those things, it's a bit like um, getting in fitness or losing weight. It's sort of, oh, I really should do something about my finances. And other than that, it's sort of some long running, fairly standard financial products. So you and McLeod, same question to you, but with the disclaimer that you're not allowed to promote any of your bank's products for free. Mm. You want to sponsor the show? You pony up, mister. In Denmark, I used a service called Spear, S-P-I-I-R, which is a phenomenally good method of um, managing your money it's a one of those what do you call it um, money management categorization spend it's, it's got some really good gamification in it so every time you would log in it would say hey how much did you spend last week on your know, groceries and you had to guess it's really really fun stuff the categorization was really really smart so i used that a lot in denmark for the day-to-day in the UK, for my UK finances, I, I have legacy accounts everywhere with every bank just because I needed that for previous roles. So I still maintain those, although I had a little uh, tantrum a little while ago when I was, I was on the train heading into Stockholm and my wife, have I told you that she phoned and said, have you paid the money to the tree man? The, the what? The what? She says, you've got to pay money to the tree man today for the property in the UK. And most of these legacy banks you cannot add yeah. a new payee without getting the absolutely hugely frustrating card reader and plugging it in and getting a special code, right? Ugh. It drives me mad. My family banking is with Nationwide. And right. I mean, I generally hold them in quite high regard, but who in Nationwide thought, oh yes, we'll implement the chip and pin little gizmo like on the mobile device? Because I'm on my mobile device, so obviously I have my card mm. and the chip and the pin reader with me that I can just balance on the other knee. I can probably tell you who I think I, yeah. I might still know the individual there uh, or the individuals. See, the one thing with the card reader is invariably, if you speak to any bank, they'll tell you there is next to zero or actually zero fraud wherever a card reader is being used. Because <laughs> there are zero transactions because it's how annoying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right, but these legacy banks don't give you the choice. You have to use them. So yeah. on the train to Stockholm, my wife's screaming at me, going, come on, what are you doing? What are you doing with this? And then I'm thinking, okay, so I've got to make a 500 payment, and then I need to wait a day because it's a new payee, and I, I obviously don't bring my chip and pin reader with me. And in many cases, didn't even bring my physical cards, especially not in the Nordics. I never used physical cards. Mm. So that was very annoying for me. And that day, I thought, right, that's it, something else. So I actually, I think I did a transfer wise from my Danish debit card. So immediately brought the money straight into Monzo and paid immediately via Monzo 800 pounds rather than having to do 500 pounds and then 300 pounds the next day. Yeah, very annoying having to do these legacy things with these legacy banks. So I'm, uh, I'm very much Monzo now. In fact, my wife and I have um, been really enjoying that, really like that experience, just like the real time nature of it. Monzo being a British UK neobank. I know you use Starling. I have a Starling account as well. I love the fact that you say real time there. That's my point to jump in. So I use Monzo for my personal banking, but we had our family banking with a legacy high street bank with Nationwide. Like the service was good, except for the fact that all of those things you just said every time, you know, you need to pay somebody, you need to do a transfer. And it was just so cumbersome to do regular things. And I don't know if the challenger banks are accepting more risk, having more fraud, 
they seem to be able to put in a password, put in a pin code on your phone, something like that, that means that those transactions can all be done from the mobile device. And I can't remember the last time I did any serious banking that wasn't on my phone. You also have to remember that, by the way, you know, you have typically, and it's changing, but typically with these neobanks, they're very tech-savvy customers, massively tech-savvy customer base, typically a little bit more aware of um, fraud and, and the like. Whereas, you know, because you've got 22 million customers, some of these legacy banks, you know, yeah. you are going to get more fraud. And the fraudsters typically will be looking at, you know, the big pond. That is a benefit at the minute for some of these smaller banks. And I just wanted to say something about real time. So this is a little something that I've Go done on. this week, and I'm, I'm just proud of myself <laughs> and showing off now. And I, there's no cleverness on my part. But for money management, I really like it. It's a US service called You Need a Budget. Okay. Y-N-A-B. And in some respects, it's pretty typical. You import your bank statements and you say, oh, that was my mortgage. That was my grocery shopping. That was the car payment. And you know, you, you manage a budget in the usual way. It has a slight nuance that it uses a, a type of budgeting that I quite like called envelope budgeting. And I could talk about that ad nauseum, but essentially what it does is it says, take all the money that you've got now and give it a job. So if I've budgeted for all my bills this month and I've got some money left over, start to budget that for next month's bill and next month's bill and next month's bill. Interesting. Interesting. The idea being that what you're doing is not trying to have any sort of months where you're caught out by the annual bill for something because you've yes. been saving up all along. And it's great. And, and you know, their site will do a better job of explaining it to me. But three times I've tried to use it because I know it's good. Like I know I need to do this. Our household spend is so variable, particularly now. You mm-hmm. know, the boy has started going to school in the last year. We've bought a different car. We were about to go on a big holiday. Like there's so many kind of disruptive things that we were doing that we needed to control it because otherwise we would get out of shape and I was trying to do it. But the friction of go to my uh, bank, download my statement in Excel format, upload it, then be faced with the 50 transactions that I've done for five lots of different accounts and going through manually doing it. And it became so much of a pain that I stopped doing it because I, it was always just like sit down for a weekend and you'd literally say, oh, I'm going to do an hour of you know, doing the banking. And that's mm. not old school. And I found out this week, this third party service called You Need a Budget Sync. And it started off being built so that people who had banks that it didn't support, that it wouldn't collect the statements from natively, mm. it just sort of added that data in. And that was great because loads of European banks weren't supported. It's mainly from the US. But what I realized is Starling Bank has webhooks. And when I make a transaction, I can set it up so that I make a payment. Mm-hmm. Starling Bank, it doesn't wait for you need a budget to go and collect the statement every day or every week, you know, sort of poll it, you know, has he spent any money? Oh yeah, you know, like here's the last seven mm-hmm. days transactions. It fires a transaction. The moment I do any spend, it fires it over and actively puts it into my budgeting software. So it is really real time. Like I get a push notification for the spend I've done and on the screen in front of me, I can see my budget software go, ding, there's that spend. That is cool. It means that when I'm stood at the till, you remember how I think I I told you before, I like to take a photo and categorize my business expenses right there and then. And like dividing that job into a thousand 10 second segments was better than keeping them in a shoebox and doing them once a year and it just being this unmanageable task. Mm. And this is the same here. I can just categorize it as I go. And it's absolutely amazing. And it's not because of the cleverness of the budgeting tool or the intermediate software, but it's because my bank has got a real-time API and they notify the people I ask. Mm, that's great. Everybody else is saying, oh, go and fetch the statement. 
go and fetch the statement. You know, in some cases, you have to give these services your login and password. Oh, I know, I know. And you think, should I do that? You know, should I give my login and password to this third party service? Because it's really handy that it collects all my data together. Mm. But do I want to do that? So I absolutely love it. And, you know, I'm increasingly of the opinion that actually those features just below the surface for Starling, particularly, and I'm no doubt, I'm sure Monzo and the other challenger banks will have them soon, are actually more valuable than the flashy apps and the, and the banking bit. Yes, exactly. Well, the stuff that actually everyone is talking about, oh, you know, like they've got this app, they've got this lovely app and they've got this trendy color card or whatever. That's, that's all fine. Transactions being fired off in real time because in Europe, particularly, we've got open banking, which means that there has to be a standard whereby these financial services can interconnect, Rafe. But the open banking stuff doesn't have any element of real time, does it? It's just connectivity between the institutions. So the ability to proactively fire data to the places I've asked them to. I'm so pleased. I thoroughly recommend checking it out, particularly if you're in the UK. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the open banking stuff there. It's just an example of how you build out some of that functionality. And in this case, kind of webhooks in real time. I mean, it'll be very easy to build stuff on top of that kind of more generally. And I think that's a trend we've started to see some of, at least, because there's sort of been add-ons or the ability to manage and sync up multiple banks together. And I think that's one of the things that we will you know, see more of. You can have your kind of bank doing something, but you may manage it through another interface. And potentially the ones that win in that scenario, the ones that make it very easy to do that. And in Ben's case, I think it's definitely early adoption. I don't think everyone needs a bank with webhooks. Everyone needs this, Rafe. No, don't, definitely. I'm sold. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. You get to the point where that becomes a more common thing, you know, whether that's, you know, standard services or ways of doing things has been around for as long as banking and whether that's IBAN and Swift and everything like that. But actually thinking about it in, you know, the API centric world that sort of technologists tend to inhabit. That's how other areas have been disrupted. I have no doubt it will happen here. And real time is one of those kind of real differentiators because it's just more convenient. And I read this really fascinating blog post, and I've completely forgotten the guy who wrote it, but it was musing on the fact that actually sometimes people get overly obsessed with huge disruption and you know inventing clever new stuff. And actually, all you need to do is take the friction out of the thing that got in the way. And in my case, it's don't force me to sit down and do an hour's worth of clicking and, you know, what we call yak shaving. Downloading. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, categorizing and balancing, but actually just make it easy to do it there and then. I think the blog post was talking about um, video conferencing from home and he was saying, all I needed was a video conferencing service where I could just set up a link and click it and the meeting would start. And then that was enough friction taken out that I was willing to just start using it. And, you know, none of these services are actually markedly different from how they were a year ago, two years ago, but they've managed to just find that thing that is the friction. So, you know, I left a bank because the friction of starting the new payments, I've got my budgeting under control because I've lost the friction of needing to, you know, sort of do the administration side of it. And I think this is, you know, absolutely fantastic. I'm really, really pleased with how this is working out. And, you know, I'm sort of looking for other ways to do this now. I've got a tax bill coming up, 
you know, you go in and you log into your savings bank because I've got a different bank for my savings. I click, you know, transfer the tax into my account so that I can pay. Mm. They say, mm. yeah, it'll be with you in three to five days. I'm like, right, add that one to the list to change because uh. it's friction. Because now in three to five days, I have to yes. remember to go and do, yes. you know, the rest of that transaction. Well, where is this? Is this in Bermuda or something? Why is it three to five days? It's just because it's an old legacy bank, business banking product. So it's, my, it's for my business, that one I was thinking of. Uh, okay. And again, you know, like there's no reason for it to take three to five days. Absolutely. But I wonder if we'll come out of lockdown with people sort of being more impatient yeah, move for that it, kind of move stuff. Move it, move it. Exactly. Yeah. YNAB, is that okay to use even though it's an American company? As in, you know, is it British style? You can fully localize it. You can have it in pounds. You can have dates in the correct format. It'll call spring, spring, you know, it'll do all the right stuff. Uh, It'll say pavement, not sidewalk. (laughs) But the problem was all of the convenience features about, hey, we'll go to your bank and get your transactions were all US financial institutions. Obviously, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it was falling down. So like I say, I mean, that's one we can dig into loads, but I was just so impressed with the fact that it was doing it in real time. And so now I've got both family banking and I've got my business banking, both is Starling, and they both send transactions to my accounting software and to my personal finance software. And they're there in a heartbeat. And it's like, as it should be. Like I've sent the money, it's arrived, ding, let's you know record it and that kind of stuff. And it means also I'm not locked into mm-hmm. using the bank's own budgeting software because it's never quite as advanced as I wanted it to be. So yeah, thoroughly recommend it. Wow. We'll put links in the show notes if you're interested in trying it out. Some happy customer of all of those places. Hashtag this is not an advert. Great. Okay, we're horribly over time. Uh, another long episode. Sorry, Mark. But um, you know, I don't, I don't talk to other human beings for seven days at a time. We just stay in and uh, do maths worksheets. I am getting really good at my counting up to 20 though. So you know, and I've, I've done some phonics <laughs> practice this week. So, yeah. Well done. Homeschooling. Mm. My God. What a unique opportunity this has been. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, gents. If you'd like to write in as people have started to do now, uh, 361podcast.com, there are places you can leave comments in public or you can drop us a note privately through the contact form. You can find us on Twitter at 361podcast if you'd like to talk to us there. If you uh, are able to, please jump onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review. We will be yes, please. very grateful for that. And I have finally got around to sorting out the Patreon. So I have to say a huge thank you to everyone who continues to support the show on Patreon. Oh, yes. We love you long time. I sent a message out saying I'm about to turn the Patreon back on. Is that okay with everyone? And uh, more than one person wrote back saying, take my money. So thank you to people who support the show. That's nice. It covers the running cost of the show. We don't make any money out of this. It just minimizes some of the costs. Thank you very much. If you'd like to support us, the details of how you can are on 361podcast.com. If you are not able to financially support us, and there are some people who aren't at the moment because of the difficult situation, a review, a recommendation, or just a podcast review also helps out as well and is free. So that would be just as much appreciated. Thank you very much. Right, gents. uh, We'll be back next week. We will. So I will see you then. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Let's do some claps. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. That'll do. That was clearly a deliberate attempt to get into the pre-roll. I'm trying to do them before, just so it looks like you guys are slow there in the UK.
The claps are for synchronization, not a competition. <laughs> like if you do them early, you answer my questions before I ask them. <laughs> yes, but I'm winning. I'm winning. No one, no one on this show is winning. Okay. Uh, who's doing the intro this week? You are. Yeah, I did it last week, I think. All right. Okay. Right. I'll do it then. Right. Come on, Ben. Zero takes. We're not at home to anything other than a zero. Okay. Right. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. My name stop, is Ben Smith. Stop, stop, More energy, Ben. Not technology. Never technology. Mobile technology in the world around it. Yeah, that's right. But it needs, it needs more energy. <sighs> You're right, Rafe. You're right. Could you stick out a few Nazis, please, Ben? You know, people expect it. And remember, you've got to get it right with the music cue or something. I want to know what back channel I'm not on that you've decided to <laughs> gang up on me. <laughs> I enjoyed that more than I should have done. Right then. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. How the COVID virus has accelerated digital adoption over the last two months and real-time banking. Good? Fine? Mm, there's a, there's a, Go on, you. Yeah. Mm, Mark, can, he can take a little bit of the pause out there, I think. No, I'll, I'll do another take now. It's fine. <laughs> oh, don't be so fussy. This is what he does to you and I. We talked about this earlier, you. You need to have a little bit more empathy in these times. Now, uh, yeah, go on. I've read about it. You and thinks empathy is just a fabric conditioner. <laughs> empathy is a concept I might need to explain to you now. This is when you think about what someone else is feeling. Okay, when you apply this thing called empathy, sometimes people are nicer to you. <laughs> just ring your empathy consultant. Executive empathy. <laughs> I've got to fake some empathy. How do I do it? Okay, care. Pretend to care. Right, got it. Okay, yeah. All right. But who? Them? Me? No. Who? There are other people that have feelings? No. No, do one more take then. Oh, uh, got it. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about... You say now, you've, ru- you've ruined my flow now. Zero takes. Just try another one. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ben Smith. How COVID virus has accelerated digital adoption and real-time banking. Empathy, remember. Much better, much better, Blanford. Uh, not Blanford, Smith. That's great, you, and you even sounded quite genuine there in your praise. Thank you. Very empathetic. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Your praise means nothing to me. You were both dead to me. <laughs> dead. Doing it on my own next week. Wait, wait, wait. Can you give us a particularly rubbish joke before we go? I, I don't think I've done any. Um, let me just see if I've got one. Couldn't we do an end to the audio whereby it just says, let me just see if I've got one. And then there's nothing. You know, let me tell you a joke. And then it just ends. Well, I mean, crime in multi-story car parks is wrong on so many levels. <laughs> Here we go. Here we All go. Right, so, go this is not my joke. They're rarely my jokes, but this is not my joke. A very senior client sent this to me on Twitter <laughs> today. The joke in question says... There aren't any downright stupid pasta names, but there are a few silly ones. Yeah. <laughs> that is actually very good, I think. Yeah. Or are you just giving Mark more? Because he, yeah, he needs it. He wants it. I doubt that somehow. <laughs> I mean, Mark at this point is going, right, it's an extra long episode, and now even Rafe is making jokes. That's how bad it's got for Mark. <laughs>